Guys, it's almost May, and that means graduations, job interviews, and dressing for work. That's why we love the folks at Liberty Shirt Co. Not only do they make the coziest, warmest, and softest flannels we love to wear, but they have over 400 fabrics for you to design your one-of-a-kind shirt for every occasion, like white shirts for job interviews to the coolest linen for summer clubbing down the shore. And what's really awesome about these guys is that they make every shirt in New Jersey. Head over to LibertyShirtCo.com and save every time you use the promo code 3PEAT. Hello and welcome back to another 3PEAT podcast episode, season 3, episode 13. Wow, these episodes are flying by, boys. We'll keep pumping them out if you guys keep listening. So thank you all for listening through all of these episodes and our journey. I'm your host this week, Josh Fromwitz. And once again, join with me are my co-hosts. Alex Castle. Steven Bonazzo. And boys, another great episode. We got some hoops. A lot of interesting uh, hoops news from the pros down to the college level. March Madness has been everything, including madness. Wow. We've got some great games to talk about, including the Final Four. A lot of you guys may have predicted this, but it took a, a lot of upsets to get here. Baseball starts in the next few days. Us Yankee fans are pumped to see our boys in pinstripes back in the Bronx with fans. So we'll talk about that. And to wrap things up, if we got time, talk some uh, some surprising stuff. But uh, but first, I said we got some hoops to talk about. The Nets. Seems like every episode, the Nets do something else to make themselves the further favorites. And as a Nets fan, I'm obviously okay with this and I'm happy for it. Sean Marks, our GM, GM of the year, hands down. The moves he's been making are just solidifying why the Nets are a favorite. But it comes with a lot of criticism. Last week, they signed LaMarcus Aldridge. And the week before, they signed Blake Griffin. These two guys are well past their prime. That's a given. But a lot of people are mad at the Nets for these signings because of their name and what they provided in their prime. So my first question to you guys, I'll ask Steve first. Do you agree with Blake Griffin for saying that everyone is mad at him and LaMarcus Aldridge too, and supplies to him too for going to the nets, but they're receiving criticism because they're washed up. But now when they sign with the nets, they get all this hate. Does that make sense to you? What are your thoughts on this? I mean, I, I do agree with what um, Blake Griffin is saying because it's like, so you're going to chirp me for sucking and blowing and just not like contributing as what I, you know, used to or what you guys think I should be. Um, so I'm getting all this hate for it. But then when I leave the losing team and join a contending team like the Nets, now everyone is, oh, you know, they're, they're a super team. They're this or that, like all these guys are just joining them because they want to win. They don't want to help out a team, but it's like, well, if I suck anyways, and like what difference does it make if I'm on a winning team or losing team shouldn't matter. So I completely get what he's saying. Um, and same with Aldridge. And here's the thing, like with the Nets, you know, they're just making their offer. They're like, you know what? These guys used to be in their prime, some of the best players in the NBA. Now they're, they're not, but they're still good veteran leaders. They're still, they have, you know, a lot of, NBA experience so they could be used to this team especially the Nets where they don't really have um a really solid 
big man or backup big man because um, they have DeAndre Jordan still, but like giving up Jarrett Allen, um, that was a big loss. So getting a guy like Blake Griffin and Aldridge, it kind of helps to shore that up a little bit. So, you know, the Nets are just making the offers. At the end of the day, the players have the ability to choose where they want to play. But if you're the Marcus, the Marcus Aldridge or Blake Griffin and you're now in your mid-30s and knowing that, like, your prime's pretty much done with, are you going to stay on a team that's losing or hovering over that eight seed? Or do you want to join, join a contending team and try to win a championship? Um, because Aldridge, back when the Spurs were winning the finals, Aldridge was on the Trailblazers, and then Blake Griffin never won one with the Clippers. Um, so I don't blame them for joining the Nets. And I do see, like, his side to it is, like, you call you say I'm bad every day, but then the second I join a team like the Nets, now I'm now I'm the bad guy for joining them. I, I mean, I, I get where he's coming from. I think it's stupid. Fans have there's a lot of fans that don't know what they're saying and they should just keep their mouth shut. Yeah, it seems like the fans just always find ways to hate, no matter who the athlete is. Um Castle, what are your thoughts on this also? I'm curious. I think all of this anger and frustration from the fans really stems from conversations that we've had in previous episodes about the super team effect. I feel that when the Nets got Aldridge, that really put people in a position of, wow, the Nets are literally doing whatever they can to win the championship. They suck. They're grabbing all these guys, but you know, like Steve said, they're the players and they make the decision that they want to do. Like you're knocking down Blake Griffin and saying he sucks. And then you're getting mad at him for making a choice that benefits his career. Let's not forget Blake Griffin's an all-star Blake Griffin won the dunk contest. He was a crazy prospect coming out of Oklahoma. He he's, he's dealt with a lot throughout his career. And I think it's sad that, you know, that that's what it has to come to. I, I like Blake Griffin. I think that uh, the move for him going to Brooklyn was definitely interesting, but you know, he had to do what he had to do. And the same thing with Aldrich, that one threw me off a little bit more just because a lot of the reports were coming out that he was going to go to Miami. And I really liked him going to Miami with Oladipo, but my, in my head, it's probably like, you know what? Let me get a feeler out for Brooklyn. And if I can go there, obviously I'm going to go to Brooklyn. I mean, we saw what happened in the bubble with the heat. Clearly with what the, what the Nets got going on, they present the better option. So at the end of the day, yeah, I mean, they're, they're really getting stacked. I mean, like we said, yeah, these guys are in their 30s. They're not in their primes, but come on. They're, they're big bodies. They have a lot of history in the league. And they can definitely provide – Brooklyn this depth that they've been lacking since the big trade so that that's how I really see it and I really do think that it's a lot of people just hating on the overall concept of the soup and I have two more points to add on to this one with the addition of Blake Griffin and LaMarcus Aldridge it's not like those guys are better than Kevin Durant Kyrie Irving and James Harden they're not so kind of like you said like Castle just said they're more like depth pieces or, um, you know, even if Blake Griffin's in the starting lineup, it's not like they got these guys and it's like, wow, they're better than the already stacked Durant, Kyrie, and Harden. No, they're not. 
Um, and even during their primes, you know, Blake Griffin, I don't think was obviously he was very good. Um, but he was never better than Katie, Kyrie, and Harden. And Aldridge in his prime was never better than Kyrie, Harden, and Katie. So, especially now, like, so it's just like they're going to be coming off the bench pretty much. So, like, what's the big deal? And the thing is, especially with the league like the NBA, you, like, there's very rarely any fans that, like, are true fans to their team and loyal to their team. Um, obviously, Knicks fans are very loyal. You know, Nets fans are loyal. Chicago fans are loyal. Lakers fans are loyal. But you have a lot of, like, Golden State. Before Golden State went on that championship run and Curry was doing all this stuff and KD joined, like, I never met a Warriors fan in my life. Granted, we live on the East Coast. But then it was like everyone you talked to was a Golden State fan or Cleveland. Like, no one's saying now that they're a Cavs fan, but when LeBron was there, everyone seemed to be a Cleveland fan. So the fans can just keep switching up teams depending on who's the best team, the super team during that time. But the players can't necessarily do that. So the players can't, if they're a free agent or they're getting traded, they can't want to join to a winning team, um, especially like at the stage of Blake Griffin's career and LaMarcus Aldridge's career to try to win something. But then fans can just keep switching to teams that are winning. So it's like every year they're like, yay, my team won the championship. Or, you know, no, like it, it shouldn't work like that. Like, so if you're going to talk shit about these players, and get mad at them for doing that, but then not, and then just completely doing the same thing and thinking that's okay. I, I, I that just like irks me. So I feel for uh, Blake Griffin and these guys. Agreed. I a thousand percent agree with what you're saying, except when you said you never met a Nets fan, that kind of threw me off a bit. No, no, no. I met a Nets fan. I'm just saying, I met like loyal Nets fans. Cause like when they, you know, I need to clarify. You know, um, because I, I, Josh, I know you're, I know you're loyal. I'm not questioning that. You know, don't, don't worry, don't worry. I don't need that being brought up here as like the new breaking news that's going on with the Nets. There's too much Nets stuff going on than for me to be, than my loyalty being questioned. Hey, no, no trust me, no one on the three P is questioning. Unless if Castle was questioning, but I don't think he is. I hope he's not. I don't question it. No, sir. Yeah, so you're you're good in our hands. Good. I guess we're sticking to the topic of Nets. There's more news surrounding the Nets, and this time with their current star, Kevin Durant, who we just mentioned. He's uh, having some Twitter beef, is the best way to put it, I think. Um, Michael Rappaport, an actor, I believe. Is that correct? He's like an actor, but he's also. Um, he I might- thought. He might do some reporting oh, too. Hold on, hold on. Let, let's look it up quickly. Hold on. He he is definitely so been my, in a few movies. Oh, okay. Uh okay. Rappaport is a huge, huge actor. He is a huge social media presence. Uh I actually find him very funny. Um he does tend to get political a lot. So this really, don't mean to interrupt with, I don't know where we were going with this, but just right off the bat, this doesn't surprise me that he was getting into it with an athlete, especially Kate. Yeah. So to explain the story, 
Uh, this has been going on for the past few months when Kevin Durant's been out uh, numerous times dealing with his injuries and resting. Um, Kevin Durant, known for – he's not really the most out there pl- – not out there player kind of to himself and as people would call him soft, uh, emotional, all that. Uh, I believe it was uh, Charles Charles Barkley asked him a question that kind of irked him and he reacted a certain way. And Michael Rappaport kind of bugged him about it to the point where it escalated and the two of them exchanged words uh, over Instagram and it went back and forth. And this was taking place, I think in November, December, and yesterday or a few days ago, these messages were leaked and it was some nasty stuff being said. Uh, got to the point where Durant was saying like, meet me at a corner, I'm gonna beat you up, stuff like that. Uh, some nasty things were being, uh, were being shared. So before I give my piece, I wanna hear you your thoughts. So Castle, you started talking about Michael Rapport and why you're not shocked and I wanna hear more as to why. Yeah, so again, whether you like the guy or not, one of the most noticeable things about this guy is Michael Rapport. He's a very out there guy um, in terms of his personality, what he posts on social media. He's not afraid to say anything, you know, no filter. I think he's like a New York, New Jersey guy. So he's got that type of mentality. Um, but aside from that, I think this was pretty unprofessional on both of their parts. Michael Rappaport being a very big um, media presence. Like I said, he's got his podcast. He's constantly posting on social media. He's a well-known actor. Uh, I don't know how much you guys uh, have seen uh, stuff of his, but the first thing that comes to mind is when he played the cop on Friends when he was dating Phoebe. So I kind of always think back to that. But yeah, um, very unprofessional. And then in terms of Kevin Durant, honestly, I'm kind of disappointed. You know, Kevin, he's had his issues with his Twitter. I don't know if you guys remember, but the whole, you know, secondary Twitter that Kevin Durant had a couple of years ago and all the issues with that. So I just think with how exposable social media today is and how influenced people can be for two high profile people to be going at it like this, I just think is not smart on either of their ends, uh, especially for, especially for KD, who's coming back from an injury, who's with a brand new team with a lot of other personalities, you know, he can't be dragging this type of attention to not only himself and to Brooklyn. So I think when we look at this story, it's not only a reminder for athletes, but it's a reminder for people in general, be mindful of what you say on social media. Even if it's in a private conversation with someone, you're going to get exposed by it. So, you know, to, to come full circle with how I feel, it's disappointing on both ends. And I kind of expect a little more from KD, especially, like I said, a very high profile athlete, one of the faces of the NBA, really. And it's just, it's just disappointing. Yeah, I, I, I um, can agree with what you're saying. And I think they're both definitely at fault. Um, you know, by Rappaport asking, you know, kind of, or trying to almost like get this out of KD, you know, like 
you, you got to know what you're doing. Um, and as like, you know, podcasters or reporters and stuff like that, like you got to like, you want to ask some of these tough questions or questions to really get a, not just the same questions. You want to ask those like really in depth, um, sometimes complex questions, but you also got to know your limits. And then I think he was at fault too for sharing it or posting it all over his social media. Um, you know, if he was really, truly like, and I'm not saying that he shouldn't have, but like, maybe there's a better way of going about it than what he did. Um, but then Kevin Durant, you know, listen, if he wanted to argue with Michael Rappaport and, you know, say, and like kind of, you know, defend himself, I completely get it, but you can't be going, it can't let it go south like he did and start giving up threats and, um, making some of those horrible remarks he made because for a few reasons, like Castle, you're saying, you know, it's on social media. Once it's out there, it's, you know, pretty much out there forever. Anyone can see it, especially a guy like Kevin Durant and the um, status that he's at a professional, he's supposed to be professional. And I'm not saying, you know, because anyone, whether like even us, I guess students here, when we're in the classroom and stuff like that, we're expected to be professional. And like, if we're repping our school, we have to be professional. And then if we wanted to, you know, let loose a little bit on our own, we can, but you know, especially Kevin Durant as an NBA player, as a member of the Brooklyn Nets, especially a star in this league with so many people looking up to him. Um, you can't say this stuff. And it didn't even matter if he didn't have the status. Some of the stuff he said was just awful and just no one should be saying it so really a horrible situation and it, it did shock me when i first saw it and i was like i really can't believe that these two guys are like arguing um i didn't really expect them two to be the like the culprits of this situation and um and then when i actually read some of the messages i was like it's just like almost no way that this can be true but you know it was and it's it's, you know, not a good look for the two of them. Um, so supposedly I did see Kevin Durant did apologize. So that's nice of him. Um, but hopefully going forward, so, you know, they can, there's a lesson learned in that if KD kind of gets in another situation like this, he won't explode on the person. And hopefully Michael Rappaport kind of learns that, like, all right, you got to know some of these players' limits because at the, at the end of the day, they're still human. They still certain things bother them so you know know your limits so that's all i gotta say agreed with what both of you have said um seems like we've kind of all have the same opinion on this where both of them are at fault michael rapport should have known limits and kind of went to stop pushing the buttons instead of trying to egg him on and get more out of him because it brought out the bad side of durant and durant's got to keep that uh bad side cool and calm and yeah because this got ugly real quick and Michael Rappaport shouldn't have leaked it also he's got to keep that stuff to himself kind of because it blew this whole thing out of proportion kind of um but moving on from the drama news got some excitement to talk about and it's not the NBA anymore. It's college, like March Madness. So all of our brackets are obviously messed up, but 
it's still fun to catch these games. And one game in particular that caught my eye was the Michigan-UCLA game. Very low scoring, very defensive game. Two, caught by, coached by two great coaches. And it came down to the wire. And to see the 11th seed UCLA Bruins upset the number one Michigan Wolverines the way they did was phenomenal. It was truly what basketball is and how it should be played. And from being a team that was in the first four, which is the playing games to get into the round of 64, to now be in the final four is incredible and a very rare feat that they are a part of. So what stuck out to you guys most about this game or any of the Elite Eight games that you guys want to talk about? I'll tell you what. Gonzaga looks like the favorites as of now. Those dudes are just pouring it on any team that they have played so far in the tournament. And then and then you have a team like UCLA who really sh- most people you know would agree that they shouldn't be here but they do because they deserved you know every game they played so far they played you know they played a lot of tough teams um and they had to play one extra game than everyone else so hats off to them but um i mean these this final four is going to be really interesting it was funny with the UCLA game because i had class early this morning so i started to you know get ready for bed I was looking at my phone and another group chat that me, Josh and Castle and with some other um, podcasters, you know, was blowing off like, Oh my God, this game is crazy. So I had the March Madness um, live app on my phone. So I clicked on it and I saw that it was a close game. You know, it was like 41, 40 UCLA, maybe. It's like, all right, let me watch it. And just like, I mean, my heart starts like beat fast because I was so into it. So like, I didn't know, what was going to happen if UCLA would be able to pull it out? I mean, Michigan has so many chances to like tie the game up or take the lead. I know Franz Wagner, he, um, he had that wide open look for three, like very late in the game, I think to tie it and he airballed it. And then even like pretty much Michigan's last possession, um, what was it? Smith, he uh, got the inbound ran, you know, right by the guy, the guy then like was twisting and he like um, pulled it from three, so like he had a pretty wide open look and like bricked it. And you know, I didn't necessarily feel bad because I don't like Michigan and I didn't want to see them win, being a you know Wisconsin guy. So, because um, even college, obviously college football, I'm big Wisconsin, but even basketball, I, don't, I just don't like to see Michigan, Ohio State, um, Penn State, a lot of Big Ten schools besides Wisconsin do good. So it was kind of nice seeing. And it was cool to see, like, the underdog, like, you know, UCLA in it. And plus, um, I want to say UCLA-Gonzaga Final Four, this is a rematch from, what, like, 15 years ago or something like that? Or, um, so, and this is, like, the first time they're, they're in the Final Four since, like, Kevin Love and Russell Westbrook were on the team. So, it's pretty cool. I mean, I don't really know anyone on UCLA. I'm starting to know some guys just because – the longer they're playing in this tournament, but um, they're going to have quite the matchup against Gonzaga, who is just on an absolute tear. Gonzaga is on another level, and it looks like they – there's a lot of questions surrounding them entering March Madness. 
because of the lack of competition they played. But I guess people didn't realize that they beat up a lot of top teams also. Their conference is weak, but they played Iowa and a bunch of other top five teams that they kind of dismantled. And it showed in their March Madness run also to get to the Final Four. Uh, Alex, what about you? I know you. we were talking about the UCLA game a bit, and you're a supporter of the Bruins. So what, do you, what did you think of their win last night? I think it was madness, Josh. No, uh, <laughs> it was a crazy game. It was a crazy ending. The Bruins have a very long history of great program, a great program and great teams. I think this is their first Final Four appearance since uh, 2008, I believe, with uh, that team. We all know who was repping the Bruins then, Kevin Love, Russell Westbrook. So it's really cool to see these guys back. Uh, the team that I'm honestly following, not following, but like the team that really has stuck out to me, stood out to me is Baylor. Uh, even from when we played them, when our Hawks played them, they got the size. They, they can just move the ball really well. They're just a tough team. I mean, and on top of being the number one team from uh, the three in the nation, it's just a perfect storm for them. So I'm going with Baylor and, and I'm honestly, I'm, I'm riding with the Bruins still. I, 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 the Cinderella story is not over yet, boys. You're hearing it first. I see, I see those Bruins making it to the end. But overall, it's, it's just been a lot of fun. This tournament overall has not been what anyone has expected. E even Sister Jean was ca caught off guard when, when her team uh, lost. But, yeah, it, it's been one hell of a tournament. And I'm really excited that uh, we're blessed that it's not just March Madness. Uh, I know we all talked about this April madness doesn't fit. We're going to have to come up with a name for it, but I'm hyped that we get to see this play go into April. Alex, that'll be your homework for uh, the next show. Come up with a name for April instead of April madness. You got it. Revealed to come next episode. Perfect. Can't wait. Um, but you were talking about this madness is what none of us expected. And I don't think it would be a proper March madness if we expected what was going to happen and all of our brackets were to go as expected because there's no madness involved. And that is the beauty of March Madness is seeing us all stress out about our picks losing and this shouldn't have happened, but it did. UCLA should not have made it to March Madness is what people were saying. And they're in the final four. So stuff like this, you can't, make it up you don't expect it to happen but it does so castle i really like your pick about the bruins going to the championship because no one is expecting them to but it's gonna be a tough challenge uh jalen suggs Corey kispert drew timmy they're they're deadly but gonzaga's got some ball uh but sorry ucla's got some ballers too well-experienced program They've got the NBA guys on their side rooting for them. So it'll be a fun one. But uh, we've got to shift to the other game. Unless you got something to say, Stevie. I have one more thing. Yeah, it's a West Coast-like showdown. No no Midwest, East Coast, anything. Only you got Baylor, Texas, Houston, Texas. And you got Gonzaga and Washington. And then UCLA, obviously, and California. So, yep. you know, it's definitely uh, some big – West Coast showdowns that will be happening. They'll be in 
Indianapolis, so it will happen in the Midwest, but no, no East Coast teams are up. That's unfortunate. Our Syracuse Orangemen gave out. Their Cinderella story ended, but that's all good. We've got two great games. We spoke about the Gonzaga game. Castle briefly spoke about the Baylor game, but I want to talk about that more because this one will seem to be also a very good game. Very well-balanced offenses. Baylor's led by their guards, a three-headed monster of uh, Butler, Mitchell, and Teague, and then Vital, who's their like big man, who's only like 6'5", a guard and a forward. He does everything, kind of like a Draymond Green type of guy. They've got depth. They've got nasty defense. So I really like them. They could go all the way, like Castle said. But don't sleep on Houston, I think. Is that what you're about to talk about, Stevie? Were you about to talk about Houston? I'm just saying, yeah. I, deep down, like, I kind of have some – confidence in Houston I mean I picked Baylor and I still think Baylor is gonna win but Houston's you know they got some swag to them right now they like they got they've been very underlooked throughout this tournament and I mean they made it so and Houston's usually a problem on the past couple years in the obviously American Conference and even in the tournament so finally they made it this far and they got some uh they some hoopers on that team so those guys can ball, and I think they'll definitely give Baylor a run for their money. It'll be a fun matchup at the guards because we were talking about Jared Butler few, uh, for the past few weeks. He's an All-American. They've got Mitchell, not the Donovan Mitchell, Steve, but uh, whatever his name, Davion Mitchell or something like that. Might be yeah, related, I think it's like Davion. Might be related to Donovan Mitchell, but he's not telling us. But Houston, they've got Quentin Grimes, who's projected to be an NBA draft prospect also. So that'll be a fun showdown. So I think ultimately it's going to be a Gonzaga-Baylor championship. But I think both games are going to end up being fun, worth-watching games. Let's see your, your pick, Steve, because we know Alex is already. I'm going to go. Do you want both games or just? Yeah, I want to hear your championship matchup. I'm going to go baylor I'm going to go to one seed, Baylor Gonzaga. I think, you know, at the end of the day, like UCLA's magic's going to run out. Gonzaga's just too tough. They got their, like, three-headed monster. Baylor got theirs. It's going to be quite the matchup um, that Monday. It's what, Monday the 5th is the game, right? Championship game. So Monday night, Gonzaga-Baylor. And does Gonzaga go undefeated or does Baylor snap it? And the Baylor Bears are going to be hosting the trophy. They are going to be the NCAA March Madness Tournament champions. And uh, Gonzaga is going to come so close, but just come just a little bit short, just like I did. See, I'm going to go the opposite there. I'm going to go Gonzaga beats Baylor because in the season of unexpected – a first will happen this year. Well, not a first, but something that hasn't happened in a long time, and that's an undefeated team will remain undefeated and win the championship. No team has done that since the Larry Bird, Indiana State team. A lot of teams have come close. Anthony Davis's Kentucky team, the UNLV team, and much more. But Jalen Suggs, Corey Kispert, Drew Timmy, 
and the feisty Gonzaga Bulldogs are going to be hoisting the 2021 NCAA championship. I'm kind of mad though. No one, uh, no one liked my joke, you know, come up short. I'm sure, you know, that you guys would like that, but I guess not. That was good. No, huh? no. I, I see where you're coming from with, I found funny, but I'm not trying to put you on blast in front of all of our lovely fans, Steve. So, but, but I, but I appreciate the direction you were going with. I'm glad that you, you can laugh at yourself. That that's a very important thing in life. So I tried. I, at this point, it's kind of like, this point, you know, it is what it is, but I, you know, I figured it kind of play on words. See, that's the thing. A lot of our listeners might not know that, but you know, I'm like five, six. So, you know, you can judge that's not the tallest height. So that's why I said coming up short, like me trying to make fun of myself a little bit, but it's all in good terms. It's all, you know, trying to be playful and crack some jokes on, on, uh, in our podcast. Absolutely. We're, we're not all, we're not all serious sports here. We, we love, we love to mix it up with the comedy. So Castle and your, uh, Baylor UCLA championship, who do you have winning? I got to go with Baylor. So I really. Norella ends, ends in the championship. Yeah. It, it ends there. You know, I just, again, even looking at it from the Hartford game, a team that obviously does not have the same talent as the Bruins, but they just have just have this intimidating size about them. And when they need to score and push the ball, they can really do it well. And I think that's going to be, you know, tough for an 11th seed, especially in crunch time, you know, that second half of the game, when uh, I can't think of his name, but but the kid with the mullet on Baylor, I mean, he was just killing us the second half of our game, and it's guys like that that they have that really make it hard for me to don't to not see them winning. So don't have a score prediction, but uh, my my boy Tyler, who goes to Baylor, Tyler, if you're listening to this, your, your boys are going to be hosting up the trophy, hoisting up the trophy at the end. I remember you're telling me that that guy Tyler was. Uh... Talking some trash after that Hartford game, but it's all love, though. It's all love. That's all, that's all that matters. Well, we'll talk. I'm sure we'll be talking about that next week. The wins, and because it'll be April already, so the April madness will continue. But one thing that we could talk about now that starts in April, also, which I would say is what April is known for, is baseball season. And yes, opening day is here finally we have waited months and months and months the cold months are gone spring is here baseball's back our pinstripe boys are back aaron judge Giancarlo stanton garrett cole i could go on and on about the yankees but it, it's good to see them back fans will be in the bronx for opening day as we take on the blue jays so i know we're all pumped stevie I'll let you kick this off. Just initial reactions, looking at the Yankee roster, your feelings going into this year, lay it all out. Let's hear. Well, the past, like, however many years, thinking like, all right, this is our year. This is our year. After the 2017 run we had to the um, ALCS where we ended up losing game seven to Houston, who, all right, I'm just going to leave it there. Um then obviously 2018, lose ALDS to the Red Sox. 
2019. Um, no, wait. Uh, am I confusing the years? 20, no, 2018, we lost ALDS. 2019, we lost ALCS to the Astros again. And then last year, 2020, lost in the ALCS to Tampa Bay. So we've been making it this far. So, like, every year, just so close. Like, we lose a final game on some walk-offs and uh, it's just so frustrating but going into this year you know we should get Sevy back midway through the year Cole now has I mean last season wasn't a full year but now he's got like a like a full spring season under his belt he had kind of like a full sometime last year so now he knows how the Yankees work what to expect um have not having Voight for like the first month will hurt but I'm hoping that he'll be good. And, you know, like, I don't want him playing through anything and he's not at 100% and he worsens it. Like, get taken care of now. You know, it's a full season again. So, obviously, it's not like last year where one game is worth almost, what do we say, like two games or something like that? Like, if you lost. So, it's kind of back to the normal, like, ratio of games. Um, so, you got to like it. You got to like where we're at. Um Stan really showed last year that like he looked more comfortable with the Yankees, so that'll be really good if he can carry that. Um, and I was really impressed with the pitching in spring training. I mean, like Kluber looked pretty good for coming off injury. Tyone, same thing. Um, and then even some of the other guys that stepped up because like guys like Zach Britton are injured. Um, Justin Wilson recently just went down, so we're gonna need some of these ga- um, names. I think it was like that Lucas Lutledge or something like that. I forget, I I don't know how you pronounce it. Um, but Eric Cubs at Barstool like loves him. <laughs> so you know guys like that or like Luis Gill. Um, other I'm trying to think like uh, Jonathan Loisaga. Obviously he's been with the Yankees for quite a few years now, but he's starting to like more dominant, um, more consistent. So the Yankees have pieces and they can definitely make a far run. We just got to hope that like we have enough pieces to make it over that hump that we haven't been able to make it um, over the past couple of years. And, you know, we have the trade deadline too. So this is the beginning of the year, but I'm liking where we're at. Um, of course, the injury bug has already kind of started to hit us. So hopefully kind of cools off uh, because we cannot afford to have that. So and then it'll be nice to just to see some fans at Yankee Stadium. Um, even if it's only like 10,000, it's better than cardboard cutouts. So, because um, I'm, you know, Yankees fans, fans in general will make any place, you know, loud, but especially Yankee Stadium, Yankee fans are, uh, will get that place jumping no matter how many people there. So, I'm just super excited to watch tomorrow, this weekend, um, and then just to have them on pretty much until the fall so i do love me some yankees baseball agreed to that and it'll be good just watching the game hearing bleacher creatures going crazy again because it feels like it's been so long since we've heard a an aaron judge roll call or a dj lemay roll call so that'll be great and garrett cole will get his first roll call at yankee stadium so that'll be special to watch on thursday Plus, I want to go to game at some point. I, it's my mission to go to game. You know, I want to get vaccinated first and make sure I'm all good. But then after that, I need to go to Yankees game. It's been too long. So, um, and plus, I I'm hoping. 
finish what you're going to say, Steve, and then. Um, I said, I'm hoping, you know, because uh, I'm thinking more summertime when I'm done with school. By then, I sh- should be vaccinated. And then maybe who knows, a lot more people. And, and hopefully by then, ticket prices will uh, drop a little bit because I know these first couple of games are a little uh, pricey and out of, my, out of my budget. Oh, yeah. You know, I was just going to say uh, I like the idea of going um, when you're vaccinated and everything. That's my plan. I think if we could uh, coordinate it, three of us should go to a Yankee game together. I think it'd be a lot of fun. Maybe we even do a three-peat special, do a little Yankees pregame show live from the Bronx. Could be a lot of fun. You got my attention, Castle. You got my attention. I like where Beautiful. you're going. Uh, but a lot, of, a lot to look forward to this season with our boys in pinstripes. Like you said, Garrett Cole going to be making his first pitch with the Yankees. Very excited about that. Excited about Kluber, too. Just looking at the lineup, I, I think it's a pretty well-balanced lineup of young guys – vets um and then you and then you got your big bats uh i don't know how you guys feel but i'm actually kind of happy with jay bruce i I think he's you know he's one of the older guys in the league but he's solid when he's swinging he he he's solid and going off of that i think the fence at yankee stadium especially with that short porch in right field he's a lefty in that time where luke voigt is going to be out a month or so they haven't actually announced how long it is but we're assuming it's gonna be a month because he needs surgery um that right field is gonna look real promising to him and being on the indians and the mets he was a yankee killer so i'm happy he's done killing us and being uh one of us now and plus um like you said he's a lefty bat which we need where the yankees are dominated by right uh righty batters so it's good to get um lefty guy in there so and especially I expect to probably see him play a lot of games at first base um it's gonna be that's gonna be interesting to see how they um move around like are they gonna move LeMahieu around to first base is Bruce gonna be primarily the first baseman are they gonna recall up Mike Ford because I'm pretty sure they optioned him down um you know last week um so it's going to be interesting what they do, uh, what Boone does there with the first base situation. But I do like um, – I was actually talking to um, one of my buddies, his dad. Um, we were talking about Bruce. And, you know, it feels like he's so old and he's been in the league for so long and stuff like that. He's played for a few teams now. But you know, he's only 33. Um, he still has that good pop. So if he can just – I'm not expecting him to bat, you know. So I, thought he, I thought he was a lot older. So that's actually – right. Um, Nine to hear that he's only 33. So yes, yeah, so, so not bad at all. Um, and I'm not. And if he could stay healthy, well, that's it. It's just it's good insurance, and I don't expect him to bat 280, 270 even. But if he can bat like 250, give us a few, uh, you know, nice um, shots over the fence. That's fine by me. And then if he's in the field and he does pretty solid, then you know you can't be mad at that. Steve, before I continue uh, to give my part about the Yankees and go off what you said, this buddy that you're speaking of, does it happen to be your buddy Derek? It's not my buddy Derek. It's uh, my buddy Trevor. Yeah, no, not my buddy Derek. I was going to say shout-out to Derek, but all good. Shout-out to Derek anyways. There you go. Yeah, shout-out to Derek. I'll have to tell him to um, definitely take a listen. Absolutely. Nice to get him already. 
I, uh, Eric, if you're listening, listen to the three P podcast. Amen. I, I have to agree though, uh, with the Jay Bruce situation, I can definitely see a rotation going with first base. Yes. He's not as old as we think, but the dude's got some years on him. And I think the Yankees now have the availability for that rotation at first base. So I think it'd be something nice for them to do. Listen, he's not the Jay Bruce that we know that was playing for Cincinnati. No, of course not. But he's still going to be, in my opinion, he's still going to have a, a, a nice role with the team. The biggest thing that I'm looking for out of this season, and I know we've talked about it, the make or break year of Gary Sanchez. I think that if we don't see what we want to see from Gary Sanchez, that's it. As disappointing as it is, it's, it's what it's got to come down to. He's been really slacking uh, at the plate, and he's given us flashes of how great of a power hitter he can be. And he's so young in his career that, that he's got to figure it out this season. I mean, it, it, it's like any scenario you take in sports, you know. Like, like for example, you know, surprise, surprise, I'm, I'm making a comparison to my Giants, but you look at Daniel Jones. He's been with the team for a couple years now. He's shown flashes. Now he's got the offense around him that he needs, and it's a make-or-break season for him. And I see the same thing with Gary Sanchez. So it's going to be very interesting to see what happens with that. And my question for you, boys, is do you think, staying on the, the subject of Gary Sanchez, is there any possibility that he doesn't have the season that we as fans want and as the organization wants – but he sticks around anyways. Do you see that as a possibility? Yeah, I think he, he, yes. That's my, that's the best way of putting it, yes. As the everyday catcher, no. But I think as an occasional DH to give Stanton a day off. I think midway through the season, the Yankees will turn to guys like Higashioka more and more. Unless if Gary Sanchez has improved, has showing flashes of improvement and, and are impressing everyone. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if the Yankees turn at to, in the middle of the season, uh, turn to Higashioka and being the guy who catches for Garrett Cole. We saw that throughout the playoffs, and it was very effective. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if that's what we see. Because Higashioka, no question, is a much better fielder. The bat isn't really there, but it's effective. And I re- I'm a big Kyle Higashioka fan. So we'll see, but I don't see a way in which Gary Sanchez doesn't remain a Yankee, unfortunately. See, I was more of a Austin Romine guy. I don't I like Higashioka. I just don't think he defensively he'll do good for us, but so does Bat. Um like guys like him and Tyler Wade, like they offer certain things, but they they don't have as much potential as a guy like Gary has because Gary has shown that like he's an all star catcher. Like Higashioka is never gonna be an all star catcher or a guy like Tyler Wade is never gonna be an all star. You know, Tyler Wade um is really fast and you know good on the bases, but sometimes his bat is not always the most like trustworthy. So it's you know, and especially the Yankees, like they're not gonna want to give up on a guy like Gary so soon. Um, I think it's going to take a while, especially until Gary can really sign a free agent deal once he gets to a certain amount of years and um, like MLB service and he's no longer under uh, arbitration. 
then maybe you'll see him get, um, you know, the Yankees move on from him. But until then, I think the Yankees are going to, because they want it, because they know that he's capable of putting up those numbers that he, you know, he's an all-star catcher. It's not like it was, a, you know, not like a fluke, but like he's been an all-star. I mean, he's hit over 30 home runs in a year, or even that like his rookie year when he had, what, like 20 home runs in 50 games, like, and then his defense, you just got to hope. I mean, he's got a hell of an arm. His arm is no question. Obviously, it's just like the actual like fielding and, you know, his glove of getting, you know, all those balls on pass balls. And, you know, he's had trouble with that. But besides that, like he used to, you know, hit kind of like 270 with 30 home runs. But now he's, you know, obviously batting like 210s, 220s, which is really not acceptable for – what was an all-star catcher agreed there we go my mic was off a bit there um yeah i mean i was a big fan of gary sanchez when he first came up yeah i think he got he won over every yankee fan because like you said steve his rookie year was sensational and then it slowly has declined and it what he wasn't the face of the baby bombers anymore that's now aaron judge glaber torres so Gary Sanchez is kind of just fighting to remain a catcher, the everyday catcher now. It's not like he's the face of the team like we hoped for. But this is, and we'll continue to say it, this is a big year for him. And I want to see him succeed. I want him to remain a Yankee and to be the everyday catcher because when he's hot, he's hot. His bat is something else. His fielding needs work, but hopefully it he worked on it in the offseason and he gets better at blocking balls. But one big thing I, I want to see this year is our two big bats to stay healthy. I'm going to keep saying that Judge and Stan, when on the field, are dangerous. And them not being on the field causes a huge decrease in our offense. And then we are scrambling to find bats to fill their spot. So this year, we need Judge and Stan to be on the field and remain healthy because this Yankee team will only go as far as with them on the fields. Yeah. Um, especially Judge. Judge is very – Judge does a lot more than people think. Um, obviously, he can mash 50-something home runs in a year, 52 to be exact. But – not even just that, he does, he hits for contact pretty good. You know, he, he's not as bad as that. Like he, in his past, he has, and he, I mean, he still strikes out a decent amount of times. Um, but then you cannot, like, not include what he does in the field. His, his feeling, I mean, he's a gold glove winner for a reason. I mean, he makes some great catches, but his arm is just unreal. The amount of runs he's probably saved is just like, I don't even know how many, but every time someone hits it to his side and he throws it, like, I'm like, there's a 50-50 chance that he gets them out. Like, it's not just like, all right, this dude's safe, like, easily. Like, there's, it's usually a close call. So, and then Stan, we didn't inquire Stan to just, like, be a role player here and there. We acquired Stan because he was the NL MVP and we want to pair him with Judge and have this, you know, 
I mean, well, yes, in size too, but like this gigantic duo and this, you know, scary duo um, that can help carry the Yankees to a World Series. So I'm just hoping that the baseball gods are on the Yankee side this year. And because so far it seems like not that we're not that they're not, but you know, with already with Boy and Zach Britton and some guys like I'm just hoping we we don't get too uh worse than that and that, you know, maybe the baseball gods can put some magic on the Yankees because hey, listen, we haven't they haven't made a World Series in ever made one and especially won one since 2009 that's gonna be it's 12 years that's not to be greedy but like for marquee franchise like the yankees not like they're a marquee franchise in baseball they're like the yankees might be one of the most if not the most like well-known team in the world i mean you can go to like any country and probably see yankees gear whether they know who the yankees are or not but it's just such a it's just such a popular and like like you said a marquee like brand logo and then obviously franchise so like whether you hate them like them you know who the new york yankees are so how like 12 years without winning the world series which the yankees have done 27 times the most in baseball like it's it's getting it's too long too long it's it's making me go a little crazy Amen to that. We all could agree on that. And we're, we've got big expectations for the Yankees, but that's only because they're very achievable for them. Another team that's looking to make some moves is the other New York team, and they'll forever be the other New York team. It's the New York Mets. They we talked about over the offseason, they acquired Francisco Lindor. They're, they're going all in this year, and they're trying to be competitive. But there's been uh, some, some issues, very small issues. They're trying to work out a, a contract extension, which makes sense. He's their star, even though he hasn't played a game yet for them. He is their, the cornerstone of their franchise. And the Mets are trying to sign him for 10 years, $325 million, while he is trying to up it to 12 years, $385 million. And some Mets players like Pete Alonso, one of their other future, like future stars is saying, Mets just give him at least 400 mil. We need him basically. So what are your, I want to hear from you guys, Alex, I want to hear what are your thoughts? Should the Mets pay him or is Lindor out of his mind asking for all that? Like as a picture, you're a Mets fan. What, what are you thinking right now? I'm a Mets fan. I say go for it. I don't think the Mets have had, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, have had anyone of his caliber in terms of play and like, and uh, fan base, fan base in a long time. Maybe, maybe, maybe David Wright is the last guy that I could really think of during his prime. So yeah, I say go for it. My only issue is, is, you know, guys like Pete Alonzo, Guys like Syndergaard, are they going to be okay to not get as much money if they end up giving Lindor this deal? Because, you know, Pete Alonso is a huge part of that team. And are you going to be prepared to lose him by giving them a deal this big? Also, like I said, Syndergaard, 
DeGrom, these are guys that you need to think about too. So yeah, if I'm a Mets fan, I say go for it. It's a lot of money. You know, the only guys that we've been seeing getting money like this are guys like Mike Trout, Bryce Harper. Uh, didn't Manny Machado get a big contract too with San Diego? Yep. Tatis also. So, right, Tatis. So that's the other thing you got to think of. Does Lindor meet the requirements and qualifications to get a contract like this? And if the answer is yes, and if you're a Mets fan and you think that it's all worth it, then I, then I say go for it because I really think he's going to help give the Mets the push in the NL that they've needed and that fans have desperately wanted for seasons on seasons now. Yeah, before you go, Stevie, I just want to jump in. Uh, we've seen in other sports that this move is very risky and it could go either way. We see in football last offseason that the Chiefs offered Pat Mahomes a basically a half a billion dollar contract. And while, yes, he is the best quarterback in football right now, the leader of that team, all of that, they're having trouble protecting him. And one big problem that we saw in the Super Bowl, especially, is there was no O-line to protect him, which is why they lost. So if you give Tatis, uh, uh, what we talk about, Lindor, for example, this contract, then there's other holes that the Mets may not be able to fill. So it's a very risky move, but if it can pay off, then I'm sure Mets fans will be dancing in Manhattan for God know how long. But yeah, that's my thinking. Stevie, what do you think? Um, so here's the thing. I, I, I'm agreeing with like Castle and stuff like that with, you got to pay the guy. You got to make sure you, you can't lose Lindor, especially just for training for him. Um, and it's not like he's like a Todd Frazier kind of like guy or I'm trying to think of other like just guys that um, the Mets have acquired in the past. Like Francisco Lindor is, he's a star. Um, so you need it. Like he'll make any team so much better. So you need to lock him up. But then at Castle said, you also got to realize if you want to keep the team together. And that's why um, Cleveland came out and said why they didn't keep Lindor because they said the market like Cleveland, which is not as big as like New York, you know, it's a smaller, maybe not a small market, but it's like a medium sized market. You know, you, if you want to keep a guy like Lindor, then you're not going to have anyone around him. So if they want to have a bunch of good guys and one really, really, really like one star, then you're not going to be able to keep a guy like Lindor. The Mets, however, being in New York, can um, you know, afford to keep him and a few other stars. But still, like, I'm, they're going to want to lock up Pete Alonso. I mean, he's become a fan favorite. He's like their judge, um, really. And then DeGrom, I don't know the contract DeGrom is on, but... Even when his contract, like, I don't know if he just re-signed an extension or whatever, but, like, either they're paying him a lot already or, you know, I'm sure they're not going to want him to leave a Mets uniform at all or at least anytime soon. So they're going to have to, you know, renegotiate with him. Um, they just paid James McCann. They have other guys like Conforto. He's still, like, he hasn't really um, started negotiations yet. Like, very, I think I was reading, like, 
very briefly started to negotiate, but he kind of, you know, he's not totally worried about it. But, like, they have guys that are going to want to get paid. And, you know, so I think so far their offer is pretty fair. What it was, like, you know, 10-year, 325 or 12-year, 3-something. So, I mean, it's not like they're, like, giving him to – like, they're kind of well pushing over the 300 mark. But so Lindor, he's very good, but I don't think he's, like – near 400 i mean trout got 400 and trout is a lot different than lindor um so i think the mets offer as of now is more than fair enough for lindor to accept um and it's like i said it's not like it's a small i mean you'll get paid you have a long-term security of of a contract like it's a very fair deal and then you hope then you give the Mets feel comfortable with that, and then they still feel comfortable to extend other guys, sign other guys, so that they can become a ten, uh, contender in the NL and um, push to make a World Series. So I think Lindor has to be, unless if he doesn't want to play for the Mets, but he seemed like he wants to save the Mets, but I think the Mets have made more than fair enough offer uh, to Lindor. Agreed. That's crazy that you said that he may not be happy, even though he hasn't even played a game with the Mets yet. But, yeah, no, I think he is happy. And he wants to be with the Mets, which is why he wants to get this done um, before the season starts. So we'll see as time is running out on that because opening day is, is here. We're excited. We'll be able to be pumping out baseball content weekly now, Yankee content, Lindor t- contract talks, and much more. So keep listening as the weeks go on because that will wrap up this week's show. But before we – and quick shout out to Wild Chat Sports. Thank you for being a great partner with us and check them out. They've got great content ranging from entertainment and sports. Great, great guests on their podcasts. So check them out. As well as a shout out to our social media guy, Matt Angler. Doing a great job uh, posting daily. Great content on our Instagram at the 3P podcast. That'll wrap up this week's show. Thank you all for listening. We'll